This podcast is an exploration of decentralized information networks, secure computing, and autonomous software. Technologies that enable new global information networks, collectively known as the Third Web. I'm your host, Arthur Falls. Following last week's discussion with Aaron and Gavin, we have a chat with Dylan Chen, co-founder of Commonwealth Labs. Their first endeavor is building Edgeware, a smart contract platform focused on governance that uses Parity's substrate blockchain stack. Dylan gives us the perspective of an application developer using today's most advanced blockchain stack, looking forward to the launch of the Polkadot interoperability layer. Additionally, This conversation gives us an opportunity to pause and reflect on the nascent state of blockchain technology today. The most advanced infrastructure available is still just a cornerstone for yet more infrastructure. Yeah, so I'm I'm Dylan. I'm I'm one of the co-founders of a little project called Edgeware. Um, It's being, I guess, spun out of a um, a corporation called Commonwealth Labs. Uh, We're based in the States. Um, and basically at Edgeware, we're building a, uh, a bleeding edge smart contract platform. It's built on Parity Substrate. It kind of has um, all the latest and greatest. Uh, it runs Grandpa for uh, finality. Um, it's proof of stake, uh, Wasm runtime, um, and includes an on-chain governance uh, structure. Yeah, that's the, the kind of uh, long and short of Edgeware. Um, and I'm happy to uh, expand on that or kind of talk about you know my past and stuff like that. But whatever direction you so choose. So this is what I find particularly interesting about Edgeware is that we're making this move from platforms that are building the infrastructure themselves to platforms that build in a modular fashion fashion using existing infrastructure. In particular, or in the case of Edgeware, uh, Parity's substrate. And alongside that, the WebAssembly virtual machine, you, you use the contraction WASM, and this is something that didn't exist when Ethereum came about, and we're seeing this broadly adopted. Um, and then also you've included a governance aspect as well. Um, I've just actually been uh, editing an interview with um, Dimitri Jung of uh, Big Chain DB and uh, oh, awesome. the Ocean Protocol. Yeah, and, and he talks a lot about the importance of, uh, of governance in developing these systems. And so, you know, th- there's a whole bunch of new stuff uh, that you've rolled into Edgeware. And I think there's plenty of ground here for exploration. So to begin with, how about we dive into Substrate and the notion of building with this uh, deliberately modular framework, would you call it? Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, uh, a framework is a really, really great way to put it. And thank you for kind of unpacking the the kind of run-on sentence that I used to describe Edgeware. There is so much packed into it. Um, I hope we uh, can fit enough into this conversation. But yeah, to talk about uh, substrate, I think you know maybe using a metaphor to, to kind of when um, the the dot com era like first started, um, everyone was like spinning up their own web servers, like had their own, you know, had to pay for those things, and those were kind of um, heavy line items for any kind of startup budget. But kind of as we transitioned to uh, the cloud era a few years later, and I think we're we're kind of seeing an acceleration of that now. I think 
you're able to have a kind of stack-like approach, uh, a modular approach where you're able to kind of basically pick and choose um, the areas in which you really need to focus or want to focus on. For us specifically, that was governance. And on Parity, there's, there's really three ways that you can build a, a new chain. You can essentially just edit the parameters for spinning up chain. So allocating an account balance to you know, Alice or Bob, and then also Charlie, um, or just Alice and Bob. Uh, you can change uh, the block time and other things, or you can start to, to build your own modules. Again, uh, for us, that was governance. Or you can kind of st- start to dive into uh, the lower level of networking stuff, changing in and swapping consensus algorithms and things like that. That's a more full stack type of approach. But yeah, again, for the things we wanted to focus on governance, um, building with this modular approach kind of made sense for us. What has the development experience been like uh, working with Substrate? And actually, as long as we're on the subject, can you explain why you chose not to use EOS, which is this huge project that's out there, tons of media attention, appears to be working, uh, working quite well at the moment? Yeah, so um, I, to, to kind of address the few things that you brought up, so maybe the first, um, kind of uh, how our development experience has gone slash is going. We formally announced the project at Web3, so I guess that was you know October, and uh, we, we were a small team at that time, basically three developers. And so we essentially started work then, I would say three or four weeks later, um, we essentially had like a, a running testnet. And so uh, that was only the, the, the core modules that we were actually working on. And so we're actually working on spinning up uh, a kind of uh, full mainnet spec, so to speak. Um, so end to end, you, you can call it uh, two or three months, essentially. So uh, that's a huge compression in time uh, that we feel like we've kind of gained by building on Substrate, um, being able to focus on the things that we, we'd like to. And I guess to, to talk about the, the not building on um, EOS, the, I think you honestly hit the nail on the head. For the reasons of decentralization, uh, that that's kind of uh, one of the reasons that we uh, avoided it. I guess it was over the summer. There were some issues with uh, block producers potentially colluding over you know governance issues. And one of the things that we specifically wanted to experiment with was governance and how to actually allocate votes to uh, different individuals to experiment with you know giving uh, or splitting up voting rights with one person, you know, delegating to your stake to one person and your voting rights to another person instead of being uh, those rights being bundled. It, it, it wouldn't feel quite right, I guess, um, to, to build on a platform that already enforced those choices for us. Um, so to kind of have that blank slate um, was really important. Uh, you know, to compare and contrast also with Ethereum, uh, you know, also for the same reasons, I guess, on the other side. It didn't give us the, the granular control um, to actually build in the, the governance uh, components that we wanted either. I guess running things in a metered environment um, in the, the EVM uh, constrained the, the kind of like decisions that we were able to make. And so that's that's kind of the opposite side. So Substrate felt like the, the right place. It was a neutral platform. We could still make the decisions we wanted and uh, still kind of be able to move fast. Uh, so it was a, a Goldilocks zone, so to speak. There's been a lot of fanfare around the emergence of WebAssembly or WASM again, as, as you mentioned in the introduction. Do you feel this is a game changer and, and how how does the how does development how does developing for WebAssembly differ from developing for the EVM? I guess what maybe to to back up a little bit. So Edgeware specifically, everything compiles down to WebAssembly. Basically, we're we're building a, a smart contract platform in which other people can build metered contracts that run, I guess, with on on the uh, the Edgeware parachain or or blockchain itself. And we're just starting to experiment with building. Uh, the contracts themselves as we kind of get ready to, to mainnet. Um, so 
I might honestly have a better answer um, in a month or two, talking with Lane um, and the uh, UASM team, you know, and, and kind of like sharing their secrets. They've kind of found that the, the process hasn't been too different. Um, I think from a, a higher level language perspective, being able to build in Rust or C++, you know, as we know, Solidity isn't exactly a walk in the park. And so, yeah, from that perspective, it's definitely been easier. But I think I'll, I'll be able to give like a more concrete answer uh, a little bit in the future. How do you see the Polkadot and the Substrate ecosystem evolving? That's a really interesting question. I'll say I'll, I'll kind of like list off the the kind of things that we've seen so far. Um, it's it's already a really growing and uh, healthy ecosystem. Uh, we there's a lot of help that we've gotten from the the Substrate uh, water cooler on Riot, um, the 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 Polkadot you know water cooler as well. Um, so everyone's just been helpful, and I think that's you know as a um, as like a developer, like that's one of the the best things is working in a place like where actually we're able to swap ideas and kind of get our questions answered. Um, as for the the Polkadot ecosystem itself and kind of going to the future, again, it, it is a growing ecosystem. So I think there's around like 20 projects being launched, and that hopefully should go, grow to I would say like 100 or so by the end of the year. And uh, you know, it seems like it's keeping pace there. So it's always nice to to kind of have like the uh, what is it, the expression the riding tide lifting all boats. On, on the more technical side, I think there's there's a lot of work that I think the, the Parity team is putting together. So we're actually in Berlin right now, and so we'll be working out of their offices tomorrow. They actually just announced POC3, so the, the platform is still stabilizing. And um, But you know, kind of after that kind of rolls out and, and is able to be um, stabilized, I think we'll, we'll kind of see a lot more development. Um, so it hasn't been without bumps in the road, but I think from from every side, like we've, we've been really happy to, to work on the platform. Uh, it's, been, it's been a great experience. And I think... If we were to talk about further down the road, five or six years out, and, and how kind of like chains are actually interoperable, I mean, I guess we're getting into speculative territory, but I, I think we are wedded to the uh, the Polkadot ecosystem now, um, and I think that's really exciting. Um, we're excited to. It'll be a very interesting point for us specifically because when we uh, work on Edgeware, you know, we're we're launching with this kind of lock drop to initially allocate tokens to individuals, and you know, maybe we can talk about that a little later. In terms of um, Edgeware's like role within the ecosystem, you know, once Polkadot launches, and this will kind of be the same for any um, chain that kind of hooks into the network, it'll be an interesting switch to, to basically use um, our own security um, and bootstrapping off that to, to, to essentially being uh, relying on the security of the underlying Polkadot um, relay chain itself. Um, and I'm not sure exactly how that will play out, but uh, you know, it'll certainly be interesting when it rolls around. So how do you secure uh, the Edgeware chain? The Edgeware chain, so it's essentially um, a proof-of-stake network, um, and uh, it runs, um, the, I guess, the unit of account is uh, its own uh, token, uh, the Edge, Edgeware token, or EDG for short. Basically, right now, it's um, a delegated proof-of-stake mechanism, um, but research is being done within the, the Web3 ecosystem now to, to switch over to a version of nominated proof of stake. And so what that is, is essentially allocating Edgeware tokens to multiple individuals um, to basically increase the, um, the security of the overall network. That's the kind of, uh, I guess, like civil resistance mechanism for securing the actual or you know consensus rule. Uh, we're using Grandpa. So again, research that's uh, been spearheaded by uh, the Parity team. Um, and I think we're, we're excited to, to work with them on that. When you say you use a delegated proof of stake uh, mm -hmm. system right now, is that round robin? How are the block block producers or or the how is the the network leader selected at each round? I don't know, Drew. Do you have an answer no. to that? Yep. Yeah, it's round robin. Yeah. 
so so the real the it sounds like the real plan is to uh is to rely on the security of the polka dot main chain mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's the eventual goal essentially um so basically depending on their timing so you know we're we'll we'll be up and running essentially um june mid-june um and then it'll be a few non- new, a few months where it's kind of running as a solo chain so to speak and then when polka dot rolls around at the end of this year um you know, knock on wood, uh, yeah, we'll be able to rely on the security of uh, the Polkadot chain. I suppose this is going to be the um, this is going to be the pattern that we see mm-hmm. uh, over the course of this year is these um, probably delegated proof of stake style uh, parachains mm-hmm. being spun up uh, in advance of the launch of Polkadot, with the ultimate um, the ultimate plan being to rely on the the kind of the separately developed security of the Polkadot main chain. Yeah. I mean, that, that seems like a um, the logical call at this stage in the game. I mean, I, I think it, for <laughs> me, it gets, it gets into an interesting point on the kind of like economic side is like how those kind of, you know, how the, you know, the mechanics of the, the, the swap actually happens. Um, so uh, a friend of mine, uh, Niraj, who's, who's at um, Polychain now, he, uh, we, we wrote a, like a merging chains post uh, extremely speculative, obviously, um, but I think it, it's going to be an interesting switchover when that actually happens. Like, will there, will the 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 the, uh, the validators on the solo chain uh, want to or not want to like actually switch over to using the security? Um, are they actually incentivized to do so? Will there have to be some kind of buyout, so to speak, um, where people like start to like you know burn Edgeware token in exchange for for dots? I don't know. You know, these are these are things like that will definitely have to be game down. And I guess we're we're the guinea pig in this kind of grand experiment. So why governance? And further along that line of thinking, why is governance still an unsolved problem? Oh well, this is this is uh, you know you'll you'll have to ask Plato on why governance is an unsolved problem. I, I don't know if I'm, I'm the expert there, but um, you know, yeah, to to even bring him up, I think kind of alludes to the fact that it's really been a human endeavor to, to speak to to get everyone aligned on the same page, you know, to to resolve conflicts, so to speak, and that's kind of what we see uh, governance broadly speaking. Um, and so to us, like. Why governance for us, I think, is basically we, that's that's the space of opportunity um, that we've, as a team, have been most interested in. And especially with the advent of blockchains, it, it's interesting. I mean, it, it kind of blockchains, as we see it, like Saba will say, it increases social scalability. Um, I think, like stated another way, it increases legibility. Um, so you can see all these transactions, like, you know, there's no smoky rooms, like with people making decisions, like you should be able to see everything. So... Ideally, we should see new types of organizations arise, and like with that, we need to kind of see new governance ways or new ways of making decisions arise as well. We're you know we're we're still early in the in in blockchains as well, so uh, I think it's natural that we won't see um, answers yet. But I think we certainly need to see more experimentation, um, since the the most dominant experiments to be run are you know basically off chain, as well as a kind of delegated proof of stake, where where uh, validators or block producers are the ones that are actually making governance decisions. I think we should see hopefully more um, experiments around that, and you know, Edgework can kind of be one of them. That's yeah, that's that's kind of why we're focusing on that. Uh, we want to further this human endeavor in the in the blockchain world. How does Edgeware actually do governance? We're launching with a pretty um, simple governance uh, uh, set of primitives. So essentially, what we're doing is one allocating token rights, in, in which we feel like is a a pretty fair manner. Um, and I guess we saw Grin uh, do a, 
you know, uh, ostensibly fair token launch where um, you know anyone was able to mine um, instead of you know potentially doing an ICO or an airdrop. Uh, so we feel like uh, our lock drop is uh, a kind of fair mechanism for uh, bootstrapping a proof of stake chain. Um, and so once the network is launched, uh, essentially uh, governance on Edgeware is uh, is by one token, one vote. Um, and so, uh, but with one token, one vote, you don't have to delegate to one uh, um, validator. You can delegate uh, to, you know, another expert or you know one of your friends or someone who is actually uh, more, I guess, fluent with respect to you know some of the issues that are being posed. And so. I guess expand further on that. Um, the few areas of governance that we're initially focusing on are the core changes that should happen on the network. So any parameters that need to be changed, any upgrades that need to be changed, those should be voted on. Um, and the second area is essentially allocation of uh, an on-chain treasury. Um, and this on-chain treasury is um, bootstrapped by a the block reward essentially. So. Uh, the validators um, will be given a portion of the block reward, and uh, the block, <laughs> the treasury will also be um, funded by this block reward as well. And so people will vote based on this. Yeah, that's the that's the Edgeware governance in a nutshell. This brings us to the question of uh, fair allocation of tokens or fair distribution of tokens and the lock drop. Yeah, it's a really interesting topic. I think Coos was you know Coos's theorem is all about um, the allocation of any right um, or a piece of property or set of properties to individuals and in the absence of transaction costs like they eventually should be allocated correctly over time but there no there's always some transaction costs even in like a like a pretty trustless system like like Bitcoin or Ethereum like we we're still paying uh, some you know small percentage um, so we can never get rid of that so in the beginning like still need to allocate tokens correctly to different individuals and we've seen other networks launch with other funding mechanisms with different reward schemes and that's affected like who holds uh, voting power within a specific network it's kind of the the, the linchpin of even getting governance right um, and so that's that's one avenue in which we're ta- uh, thinking through for us like bootstrapping a new network is is, is certainly non-trivial especially for proof of stake basically in which we're relying on like like the economic value or you know people's belief in the economic value of the the, the token itself and so the previous ways to do that were, uh, you know, an ICO um, or just airdropping a token to a set of individuals. Um, you know, there's been some experiments, such as like a, a Merkle mine, so to speak. And so that's something that LivePeer, a uh, company based in New York, that we uh, are pretty close with. And so I guess to, to talk about the, the Merkle mine a little bit, essentially what that is, is something where uh, submit a Merkle proof on behalf of yourself, your own account or uh, someone else's account, and you basically claim the token that was allocated to them. So it's it's a pretty trivial amount, you know, five life, life peer token or, you know, some, some kind of other denomination, and you mine for these people. So you continuously sign transactions on behalf of them. And again, it's not like a full type of like proof of work type thing. So it's, it's not too computationally intense. But we felt that while it incentivized, act, incentivized active participants, it was something that bloated uh, different chains. We hope we can get the same effect of the Merkle mine, getting tokens in the hands of people who are wanting to actively participate without the kind of bloat that we might have with a, uh, a Merkle mine itself. And so, so can you re-explain the uh, the lock drop? Because we we, you know, we just uh, we discussed the Merkle mine, but I, I just didn't I didn't fully grasp. Yeah, definitely. So the lock drop essentially is um, a very very simple set of Ethereum smart contracts. And basically, uh, the lock drop contract specifically is 
you can send uh, basically a lock transaction to this where you specify an Ethereum address or sorry, an Edgeware address or, you know, whatever token that you might be launching, you know, you send, you know, some, some amount so you have some message value, right? And once that happens, you lock your Ethereum up for a certain amount of time. So for us, it's three months, six months or 12 months. Obviously, those can be arbitrary depending on, you know, what, what type of network you're launching. What happens is you'll spin up a new contract in which it essentially time locks that amount of Ethereum. So you, you can't move it, essentially. And at the end of the lock drop period, uh, for us is two weeks. And that means you have two weeks to submit to this contract um, in which you can lock your tokens. Uh, at the end of the two weeks, you'll a you're able to essentially claim uh, the Edgeware tokens or whatever new chain um, is actually launched. So what happens after you finish locking up the token, um, end up being able to pull the Ethereum uh, chain itself uh, to kind of see who's locked up tokens, what addresses those are kind of matched with, and you can build essentially a chain spec. Basically, it's a trustless way to allocate the initial genesis allocation of tokens to uh, individuals. This is interesting though, right? Because, so do you get those tokens immediately? So have you already executed the, have you already run the lock drop? We have not run the lock drop. It'll, it'll be happening uh, June 1st, yeah. Uh, so, so will those tokens uh, be immediately available? They will be essentially immediately available as soon as the, the new chain launches. So the thought process is running for us, you know, the lock period is two weeks. So June 1st to June 15th. At the end of that, you should be able to see, okay, like no more transactions can be submitted. And basically we can build this chain spec and then you should just get your, your Edgeware tokens. So they'll be allocated, but they won't be liquid right away. So the, the reason I'm asking this is that, you know, obviously what the, um, the cost of getting these tokens is the opportunity cost of locking up your, your ether right. uh, for the time, uh, you know, for whatever time that you choose. In response to that, before those, say, if you lock them up for six months, say, prior to the maturation of what is effectively a term deposit, you actually get the reward from creating that term deposit. So there's a sense in which the opportunity cost is offset by the liquidity of the Edgeware tokens that you're going to get in response to locking up those Ether. And as we know, in some of these speculative markets, admittedly, we are in a bear market today, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's the potential that their value could outpace or you know, outsize the value of the locked up uh, Ethereum tokens. And then there's this other kind of interesting element to this where there's ambiguity about the time from when you lock up these tokens to when the Edgeware tokens all go live. So there's this kind of slightly strange calculus. Yeah, it seems to me like str slightly strange calculus. I don't mean to challenge you on it. I just mean to comment that it's a, um, th there's lots and lots of angles yeah. to that. So I will say there's the, the speculation angle and I think it's, you know, you can never get rid of it. Um, and, I, and I know there's some individuals that are always, um, it, it's, it is a fun game to play. Um, I think first and foremost, like we, we want to basically target like the people who want to be incentivized, you know, regardless of, um, you know, any financial reward to, to essentially claim tokens on the Edgeware network. And I'll say that. Um, but yeah, no, there, there's, there are very interesting games that, that potentially could be played um, uh, with the Edgeware lock drop, I think. I think I heard some some people talking about you know potentially buying futures um, you know to potentially hedge against uh, any like you know fall in the price of Ethereum and then you know selling those off based on um, like the increase or decrease in price of 
Edgeware tokens. Uh, obviously, if it's not on a any exchange, like it's you know these these trades are like harder to execute. Um, I'm speaking of Edgeware tokens specifically, but you know I won't make any promises. Obviously, but it's you know the the communities you know should be able to to hopefully take care of those things. Yeah, it's uh, we we've talked about a bunch of things internally, and it, it's an interesting game to be played. I, we would hope there's there's more um, iterations of the lock drop specifically, since right now we're just essentially um, a flat exchange rate. Um, uh, essentially, what we're doing is still allocating tokens to people, right? So um, you can still implement something like in some kind of like auction mechanism, whether it's like Dutch, reverse Dutch, you know, or, or some kind of mismatch or like an ISEO type thing. Obviously, like the tokens are just being held in, in a contract. They're not being used by anyone. So it is, it is different. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of different angles that, you know, we hope people can kind of play with this. And how are you planning to fund development? Is this from an allocation that is maintained by the uh, Edgeware organization, by, uh, by Commonwealth Corporation itself? The initial, basically, development is, I guess, pro bono, so to speak. Um, so Parity, Commonwealth Labs, um, as well as like a few other open source contributors and, and people who are, you know, are slash will be participating in the uh, testnet, they'll, they'll be given um, an initial uh, allocation of the tokens, so to speak. So... 90% of the tokens, obviously there's there's further block rewards, will be given away in this lock drop. 10% uh, will be allocated to the uh, other individuals who, who've kind of been working on it before. But yeah, no, I mean, yeah, again, no no funds from the, uh, the lock drop are being used in this. Um, it should be able to be post-launch, uh, essentially a, a self-evolving, self-governing, self-funding type of experiment. Right, because the portion of the block producer reward mm-hmm or the, the network leader reward can be allocated via the via the governance mechanism to Commonwealth Corporation, for example, uh, to develop the protocol yeah. itself or the, the platform yeah, itself. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And so, you know, once the, the tokens acquire some amount of value, then, yeah, it, it should be able to, you know, people will vote on the allocation, as you said. So... Recently, I read a blog post by uh, Danny Grant and Nick Grossman from Union mm-hmm. Square Ventures called The Myth of the Infrastructure mm-hmm. Phase. And they talked about how applications, how kind of, you know, applications follow infrastructure, follows applications, and kind of we see this, uh, this adjacent possible for mm-hmm. where we are. We build infrastructure to enable applications that can can fulfill that, um, that, you know, that we can imagine. And then in the course of developing those new applications, we, we see new possibilities if the infrastructure works slightly differently. And so progress is made or, or you know, the, the platform or the technology or the infrastructure is pushed forward uh, through this iterative development. Mm-hmm. But I had to say that I pretty firmly disagreed with uh, much. Well, I agreed with virtually all of the content of their post. That I did strongly disagree with this notion that the myth of the infrastructure phase, because I don't see real applications right now. And it sounds to me like like what Edgeware is doing is building one of these bridges, which is this uh, this governed um, smart contract platform or, or um, programmable blockchain using technology that has been built because we can see that it would be possible to have this infrastructure piece, but we know that Ethereum is not going to be able to deliver it in a timely fashion. And so it feels like, you know, we're having this conversation about a new piece of infrastructure that's built on top of a piece of infrastructure that doesn't even exist yet because we really are locked into this infrastructure phase. I was wondering if you had an opinion about that. 
Oh man, um, do I have? Yes, I do have an opinion on it. Um, how do I? It, I, I think like this is like something that anyone in the crypto space will think about is like how are we actually going to get like end users and like if we kind of like build are are continuing to to build new technology on new technology it certainly does feel like potentially like a house of cards. Um, the Carlotta Perez framework essentially talks about like huge kind of like social um, tech and like political changes that uh, that happen um, with a focus on like. Um, mostly like tech um, and how it relates to like how capital is kind of like infused into an ecosystem and how innovation happens. And we've gone through four or five waves of these things. Um, and like we can kind of name the innovations that kind of like, I guess, like precluded them. I don't know if that's the right word, um, but like the age of oil um, and most recently, like the, uh, the age of like information technology. So like computers, probably speaking. And uh, that started, I, I think you could say or carlotta might say with the uh, advent of like the, the microchip or like the transistor um and so since like the, the 1960s and we've been going this elongated deployment phase in which we're just building out all the infrastructure for the underlying technology and then the second part of the cycle the second 30 or 40 or 50 years essentially is uh um, installing the technology uh and getting people to adopt these things um and so people would say we've started to see that with consumer applications like traditional web two companies, Airbnb, Uber, like we already have like a, a super wide set of users. Um, and basically we just need to tap into them with like interesting applications. And so for, for blockchain specifically, um, people think we're, we're still, you know, I think actually, I can't remember if I, I, I got the, the two, two phases wrong. So it's either deployment or installation or installation and deployment, but we're certainly in the, the, the former um, for, for the blockchain space. Uh, for you know different segments, so we might say that um, you know uh, Bitcoin and uh, sound money is kind of a, a thing that's is happening now, and we really just need to. Well, there's obviously innovation that needs to happen on layer one. So like Lightning is a great technology on layer two uh, that helps like further the the kind of like core utility. But for the the kind of like Web three, like and also I guess digital collectibles uh, use cases, um, those are things that. We certainly don't have uh, distribution on yet. Um, there's not. We don't have the enough, the requisite number of addresses to, to kind of like have robust usage, um, and so we're still getting to the point, um, still in uh, building out the technology to support the applications in the future. And Edgeware, I guess, like would fit into that framework. We're certainly building uh, higher throughput blockchain, essentially that allows you to um, build smart contracts in any language that you so choose, um, with governance on top. Um, we feel that that's something that's important for applications to have or, or dApps to have um, as they kind of like get into this later phase where users want more of a voice instead of just uh, relying on uh, off-chain governance or just, you know, tweeting madly out in the wild. Looking over the, the blog post now, it's, it basically flips the model in the head. So apps, apps follow infrastructure. The need follows the, 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 the technology to answer that. I and mean, that's, that's an interesting thesis. I mean, and I'm not sure how it fits in. I think, I don't know. I don't know if you can untie like the, the causal effect because people talk about technology being upstream of culture, which is upstream of like politics. But like, what does politics do? Politics like allocates a ton of money to basic research, sets the groundwork and framework for like entrepreneurs to pursue interesting ideas. And so that leads into, you know, more technology again. So it really is a kind of like a, a, a spiral upwards. Um, that was a very abstract notion, but. It's a bit like Ash's, um, it's a bit like Ash's watermill. Yes, yes, totally. 
Yeah. You know, the, the thing is, I think, and what fascinates me about um, so much of the reading that I do and um, so many of the conversations mm-hmm. that I have, especially now just um, just thinking, looking at Edgeware, how much more advanced it is than uh, prior platforms and how it uses or how it's in its uh, realization. It takes all of this work that has been done by Parity and applies that to a ton of thinking that we've seen done in the past on, you know, with Ethereum and the creation of the smart contract platform, many years of attempts at governance. And then you're also bringing in the, uh, you're also bringing in WebAssembly and, you know, Rust. There's, you know, you're really able to stand on the shoulders of giants now, whereas before so much of this had to be built from scratch. It seems like we're getting, we're really actually getting somewhere. I think this is, um, I think that while it might be tempting to see Edgeware as another, um, as kind of just another smart contract platform, what we really have is a kind of a new phase of development or a, a new phase of building that this kind of infrastructure where you actually have the ability to take advantage of so much more work that has been done in the past language design and uh, and virtual machine design, as well as the, all the consensus mm-hmm. and governance uh, research that's taken place that, that really didn't even take place before uh, before the advent of Bitcoin. Yeah, and would be so hard to do yourself. So it's it is really interesting. I mean, I, it's a it's a funny it's a really it's a funny phase we're in now that has really shown the naivete mm-hmm. of earlier phases of development. Yeah. I feel. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I won't say if there's so much as you said bundled into to edgeware and like you said we do stand on the shoulders of giants and it's it's not it's not something that is the end all be all uh of course like there's there's always more progress that will come afterwards um and i don't know if i want to paraphrase uh jeff bezos but it's it's day one of blockchains so uh i think we'll we'll expect to see like further innovations kind of come from this you know like technologies take like 20 to 30 years to to kind of play out and be adopted and you know if if we're talking if we're marking you know, 10 year anniversary of uh, Bitcoin just came up. So, uh, you know, we're kind of in the, the moving into the second phase there. So I'm really excited to, to kind of see what comes forward from all of this. Well, thanks a bunch for coming on the show and, uh, and sharing your project and your thoughts with us, Dylan. Where can people find out more about Edgeware? And uh, do you have any, and yourself, um, do you have a presence on Twitter or other social yeah, media platforms? So, the, uh, so we, uh, I'll, I'll kind of like list both presences on Twitter. So there's, um, Hi Commonwealth Twitter handle, and then there's like Hey Edgeware. Uh, those recently just got spun up, um, and then myself, I'm uh, Dil Chen. The the full site, like all of our uh, code, is available on on GitHub. GitHub backslash Hi Commonwealth. And yeah, those are kind of the the main resources um, <laughs> available on the internet. And you know, our public site, and you know, uh, sign up for our email list and all those other uh, kind of nice uh, things as well. But Twitter is probably the main and best way to follow along with our progress. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. This has been a real pleasure. And um, I look forward to seeing how uh, Edgeware and Commonwealth itself evolve over the coming months and over the course of the year. And I really look forward to seeing the uh, integration process with yeah, the Polkadot I think chain. that'll be a very, very interesting thing. We've, we've talked with the, the both teams very closely uh, to see how it'll play out. Um, very, very excited as well. Um, no, thank you so much, Arthur, uh, for having me on. Um, look forward to chatting in soon. Thanks for listening to The Third Web. If you like this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, follow on Twitter at The Third Web, or visit thethirdweb.net for episode notes, 
further episodes, and also filmed interviews. 